0: Welcome, guys and gals, to the Man Talks podcast. I'm Connor Beaton, the host and founder of Man Talks. This podcast brings together some of the best thought leaders, teachers, and extraordinary individuals to help teach and mentor you on how to be a top performer in life, love, and business. On today's episode, I have a very special guest who is all about high performance, Mr. Dave Asprey. He's the founder of Bulletproof and the author of the New York Times best-selling book, The Bulletproof Diet. Is a Silicon Valley investor and technology entrepreneur who spent two decades and literally over $1 million to hack his own biology. Dave lost 100 pounds without counting calories or excessive exercise, used techniques to upgrade his brain and lift his IQ by about 20 points, and lowered his biological age while learning to sleep more efficiently in less time. Learning to do these seemingly impossible things transformed him into a better entrepreneur, a better husband, and ultimately a better father, which is great because that's right in line with our mission. So obviously, if you've heard of Bulletproof, you'd know, uh, you'll know you know that Dave is, is the creator of Bulletproof Coffee, uh, the host of the number one health podcast, Bulletproof Radio, and uh, has authored the New York Times bestselling book, The Bulletproof Diet, and Headstrong, which is a book that we actually dive into a little bit on this podcast episode. So this is jam-packed with some really cool information. So we've I really, I wanted to talk to Dave about two things. First, I wanted to really interview him about his tech background and leadership background and how he got into being an entrepreneur because he did not start off as an entrepreneur. Dave actually started off working in Silicon Valley in large tech companies and actually was one of the first people to design cloud-based computing. And so we talk a little bit about his transition. Uh, we talk about how he made around $6 million when he was 26 years old and lost it all by the time he was 28. That must have been crippling. Uh, so he shared a little bit about that. Uh, and we, we dive into his transition into being an entrepreneur, some of the key lessons that he learned in, in terms of building a successful company. Uh, and then after talking about entrepreneurship and some of the keys to business and leadership, we dive into health and nutrition, uh, not so much about fitness, but a little bit about biohacking. So we touch base on his new book, Headstrong, uh, some of the keys to improving your memory, uh, getting better sleep. And upping your i q which I really thought was uh was an interesting conversation, and just overall brain health and then towards the end, Dave shares some of his favorite biohacks of 2017. And some of these are pretty simple. So uh, you don't need to worry about being overwhelmed and inundated with you know some really complicated information. Uh, he does go deep in some areas, but there's also some very simple tactical things that you can do today to improve your memory and get better sleep. So without any further delay, I would love to bring on Mr. Dave Asprey. And my pleasure. Honored to have you. here. I know a lot of our guys have been stoked for this uh, and the ladies too, they've been really excited to have you on here. And they've all, not all, but a bunch of people have sent off their questions. So I've got a few uh, community questions for you today, but I'd like to start off how I always start off, which is tell us a, st- a story about a defining moment that has made you who you are today. Years ago, I
1: weighed 300 pounds and I'm close. To, well, I lost about a hundred pounds of fat. i put on a little muscle since then, but I'm in a very different shape than I used to be. And I'd had two knee surgeries when I was about 22, 23 years old, arthritis, my knees since I was 14. And I just said, you know what? The most important thing in my life right now is that I don't want to be fat anymore. And I don't want to have another knee surgery. Like, like they hurt. (laughs) They put a screw in my knee and like, that's just not a good kind of pain. So I worked out six days a week, an hour and a half a day, half weights, half cardio. And I could max out every machine at the 24 hour fitness. Like I was strong and I still weighed 300 pounds. I've been on a low fat diet, a uh, low calorie diet, and I just could not lose the weight. And I was like, you know, maybe it's just cause I'm not trying hard enough. You know, maybe I'm, you know, I, I just need more willpower. And then I decided I was going to go to something really, really risky. I was going to go play laser tag. Okay. <laughs> now laser tag was like before the days of paintball. It's, it's kind of dorky. And it's not exactly a high-risk sport, so I go out with some friends on a Friday night, and I kneel down, like kind of squat down. I twist, and I blow my knee out again. One more surgery. You know, I had to to limp home, could barely drive. Knee the size of a baseball, or sorry, basketball, whatever, one of those big balls. I just was, I just felt so defeated. I'm like, God, I did everything right. Like I eat less than all of my thin friends. I work out more than any of them. I can bench press them while they eat French fries, and I eat the salad. And it was that that I was just like, you know, maybe it's not me. (laughs) Like maybe this stuff doesn't work. And that was one of the big things that just made me decide I'm going to go outside the norms because the crap that they that they've been telling us about, you know, exercise your way to thin, it just doesn't work. It has never worked effectively or sustainably and starving yourself to thin doesn't either. Uh, So I decided at that point, I'm going to become an expert.
0: And, well, I did <laughs> you definitely you definitely have i mean it 's interesting because the more i 've learned about you and your background and um, you, you have quite an interesting trajectory from you know a kid that grew up in Albuquerque, New Mexico, which actually one of my uh, team members is from, to you know going to california states and and getting a degree and then working in tech companies and i'm I'm really curious you know I found this story. And I think you've talked about it before from when you were 26 and you had, you know, made something like six million dollars and then yeah. within the next two years, you know, lost it all through through the company. What was that like? So I think a lot of a, a lot of our demographic is between 26 and 36. And I think a lot of these guys are sort of some of them are chasing after the dream of of making a ton of money. What was it like to be so young, making that much money and then have to lose it all? Like what what was that process like?
1: Well, well, making that much money, it, it it's fucking awesome. I mean, I'll just have to say that. Like, <laughs> I'd be the world's biggest jerk if I didn't acknowledge that. Uh, but the reason that I was so motivated to do that is something that I think a lot of people are, are chasing money for. And it's that I was desperately afraid of failure. So, so there's an anxiety component that can drive a lot of success and often does drive success for people under 30, where you're like, man, I, I have to do this because... And then you tell yourself a story. In my case, it was a story of, you know, then, then I'll be worth something, then I'll be you know, lovable, uh, and then I'll be happy. And it was a really cool experience because, <laughs> well, when I made $6 million, I, I looked at another friend at the same company. The parking lot was full of BMWs and Porsches and Ferraris. It was just a ridiculous time. It was the dot-com boom. This is the company that held Google's first servers. Like when Google was two guys and, and a computer, they came to us and were like, yeah, we'll help you grow that. And I was a co-founder of part of the company. And, and it was like, it was just incredible. But I looked at this guy and I said, you know, I'll be happy when I have $10 million. Like, hold on a second here. <laughs> like, when you have $6 in million, and you 26, you're set for life. Like yeah. all you have to do is put that in, in like an interest earning account and you have like a nice salary every year for the rest of your life. And you can do whatever you want. You can learn anything, you can do it. And no, I didn't do that. And, and so that taught me like money doesn't make you happy. Mm-hmm. And the science, I'm going to talk about this at the conference I put on every year. Uh, the science on that is that above about $75,000, you don't get any more happiness. Having your basic needs met so you're not looking over your shoulder all the time is important. And what I did for that is I gave up a lot of you know, travel and social stuff. and it was like, Just work, work, work all the time, which isn't really the best choice. And something else happened earlier before that. Um, The two things that are really attractive when you're young are are fame and money, right? So the money thing didn't work. But even earlier, it turns out I'm the first guy to sell anything over the internet. Uh, Like it was a t-shirt that said, caffeine, my drug of choice. (laughs) I sold it out of my dorm room at University of California at Santa Barbara and I was featured in Entrepreneur Magazine and about 80 other publications. Like there's this, this fat kid, like my, my, my fat proof picture is like from Entrepreneur Magazine when I'm like <laughs> 22, 23 and I have these, these glasses and I'm like my face is all red and puffy and I'm wearing a size double XL t-shirt. I wear a large today, right? So, but literally we didn't have the word e-commerce yet. Like I helped this company called the Meta Group that was acquired by some consulting group, write the first white paper in the industry about e-commerce. So like I was there at the beginning and the day I sold my T-shirt on, on something called Usenet was the same day or maybe the day before. Virtual Vineyards, which became wine.com, sold the first other thing on the Internet. And so like, like that's that was my fame. And you know what? Being famous, having your picture in magazines, it didn't make me happy. Having money didn't make me happy. So it's like, gee, maybe happy comes from somewhere else. So I'm really fortunate to do all that. Losing $6 million and just being set for life and then not being set for life, or maybe call that being upset for life, uh, that also on the WHO list of stressors is the equivalent of like losing a family member. Like, like it is an enormous amount of, of psychological and emotional stress where like what's going on all the feelings of helplessness like like you know failure facing all that stuff it, it certainly helped me understand you've got to address like the software layer the belief systems in the head because if you address things biologically so you have lots of energy and you use the energy to run a crappy operating system in your head it, you're not going to do as well as you could but likewise if you have no energy and your processor is really slow and you're like I'm going to do all my personal development work and upgrade my software without enough energy to do that you're not going to like the results either so stress comes from the stories you tell yourself and stress comes from biology. And you've got to address both of those if you want to do the things that I talk about.
0: Yeah, I love it. I love it, man. Like That's such a great story that sort of encompasses a lot of the different challenges that, that people face, not just men, but, but everybody, uh, especially yeah. in those formative years. Yeah, I mean, I was gonna say like it's you have such an interesting transition because you know you got a degree in computer info systems, and you had some like interesting paths and, and and interesting companies that you worked with in in terms of the tech sector. And I'm curious as to how that has translated into biohacking. Like, are they similar industries? What skills did you find that transferred? Because I think a lot of people when they go through a transition, they're like, oh, I was doing this career, and now I'm shifting into this one. And everything that I did before is irrelevant. And it sounds like some of the success that you've had is really taking the lessons that you learned in that previous degree and in those previous businesses and applying them into what you've done with Bulletproof.
1: Well, there's three things you get uh, when you work in an industry, right? You get like the hard knowledge of, you know, how does the technology work and things like that. And you get relationships and you get industry structure knowledge, right? So the relationships are, you know, I can call people at very senior levels at tech companies because I work with them, you know, 20 years ago when we were all, you know, just getting started in our careers. And there's just a level of trust uh, because of these relationships. And some of them are big VCs now. Some of them are you know, CEOs or VPs. But uh, there's just a, a you know shared suffering, like we were there at the beginning kind of thing. Uh, and when you switch industries, those relationships can be less. Valuable sometimes, but not always. Uh, so that also means, like, there was a time when I, I unexpectedly lost a job when I was uh, just transitioning out of tech into biohacking. And I figured I'd be at a startup for a couple of years. And there were some shenanigans from, from the founder. And I was like, all right, not the right fit. So I found myself, I just moved to Canada. I'm living in a new country. And I've got basically 30 days to find a new job where I have to move back to the US because I don't have a visa. I called five tech companies. I said, I'm, I'm on the market and I live in another country on an island and I'm not going to come into the office. And three of the five made me an offer within two weeks. Okay, that's the value of working in an industry for a while. And they said, we don't care where you live. We want to work with A players. And that was validating for me. But that's, that's that depth of relationship that you get and you lose that when you go to a new the relationships are still there but you know if i was to go say i want to be a a tech ceo i could probably pull that off because i have good ceo chops now with what i've done at bulletproof but my and i have the relationships but my knowledge of tech i'd have to i'd have to tighten up my knowledge because i haven't really been in in tech meaningfully for 3 or 4 years so like there's been two more generations of software i'd have to understand all the industry dynamics the thing that happens when you move to a new area like i have with coffee and biohacking is that you know how much I know about doing a national distribution deal with Whole Foods? Probably. I know nothing. (laughs) Absolutely nothing. Do I have a distribution deal national with Whole Foods? Yeah. You can buy the Bulletproof ready to drink cold brew and our coffee and our collagen and our brain octane at all Whole Foods now. Right. So I knew something about running an e-commerce company because I designed architectures for the whole first wave of these guys. Right. (laughs) Um, But uh, do I know something about, uh, about grocery distribution? No, not really. But I also learned how to hire people who know what I don't know. And and this is something else that people in that, that 20, you know, 25 to 35 range, you go through this, this thing where you're like, okay, I need to address my weaknesses. Okay. This is something I did probably more than, more than most people because I was so afraid of failure. And so you're like, oh, I suck at this. Let me spend all of my time and effort trying to not suck at this. Okay. I'll tell you, I'm the world's worst project manager. (laughs) So I decided I would go out and become a a certified project manager. What? Like, no, that's exactly backwards on how to do this. So what I learned how to do was how to hire people who have solved the problem before. And, And at different phases of a company, when you're a tiny company, I started Bulletproof. Like, look. I'm making a quarter million dollars a year. And I've got stock options at a publicly traded tech company. They pay me to fly around and give keynote uh, presentations uh, around the world in five-star hotels. Like there's a worse life than that by a long shot. Yeah. I started my blog and I'm like, at a certain point, I'm like, okay, I'm blogging because if five people read the Bulletproof blog and they avoid all the crap that I went through and spending now a million dollars on upgrading my biology, it wasn't necessary Maybe I could have uh, I could have avoided that if someone had just laid it out for me in a way I could understand it. So I went out and I put the blog together with that in mind. Like five people, like like change five lives, I, I win. And it's it's a an avocation, it's a hobby, and it's for almost twenty years now. I've run an anti aging nonprofit group doing the same kind of work. So this is just an extension of sharing. And when it became clear that I was going to be serving a lot more than five people, you know, I hired. Uh, people under 25 who I could afford, given that I was paying them out of my salary, and I have a house payment and two young kids and car payments, and you know, I, I like I made, and I mean, it, I lost my six million dollars. I've been working for a paycheck like everyone else, and living in Silicon Valley or near Silicon Valley, and you know, it, it's it's tough. What I ended up doing was was saying, all right, I'm going to hire someone who doesn't know the industry, who doesn't hasn't done it before, but is dirt cheap. And they're going to do a job that's maybe 70% of the job I would do, but I don't have to tell them how to do it. I'm going to allow them to make terrible mistakes. Mm-hmm. And some of the, the people who did work like that, they cost millions of dollars later. It doesn't matter. <laughs> I could afford millions of dollars later because the company got to a certain point. And I say it costs millions of dollars. It just, if we'd made a better decision here, it would have saved this much money here and save that much money there, but it's okay. It was enough to get, you know, escape uh, trajectories, escape velocity. And, at that point, though, as you're scaling a company, it's like, how do you find the people who've done it before at a scale with an extra zero from where you are now? And how do you bring them into the company? So I'm blessed to have people who are way, way more experienced than me. I've worked with three of the first 10 Starbucks employees at Bulletproof. Our chief operating officer is the former general manager of Amazon Prime. <laughs> and she left Amazon to, to join Bulletproof. I'm like, holy crap. Like this person knows way more about e-commerce than I do, right? Uh, and, and so just, just being able to, to find and attract people like that is really important. But the thing I talked about there to answer your question was learning how to think about the industry. And part of what I realized was that I used to actually have a fear of public speaking and in my, I will address my, my things like that. I would like, I remember the first time I went on stage in front of like five, 600 people I was, it was something called the web guild. And before we had the name Webmaster. this was like in Silicon Valley where on uh, great America parkway where Cisco systems and like, like most of the big companies you've heard of have offices along there. I worked at eight companies on the same street in my career. Well, I'm um, kind of ground zero for, for the internet as we know it today. And I'm giving this talk and I was, I have no idea what I said because I was like completely fight or flight the whole time. But apparently I kicked ass and I realized I want to strengthen this. So I became first an instructor and then I ran the program for the University of California in web and internet engineering. So I taught about 1,500 engineers working in Silicon Valley how to build the internet using essentially Lego block assemblies instead of using giant big mainframe stuff. And in the process of doing that, how do you teach a course on technologies that were released the week before? Here's what I'd do. I'd finish... My day as a founder of the consulting group at this company called Exodus, and I would sit down, I would eat dinner, and I would go through industry journals and magazines, and I would draw pictures, and I would absorb all this info, and I'd finish dinner, and I'd drive down the street, and I'd give a three-hour class on what I just learned. So five years of doing this, four nights a week, and it was just how do you drink from this, this information? How do you structure the information? And then how do you make it teachable? And I wasn't teaching people, here's this one thing. It was, how do you think about the technology so that you can see a system? And it's that system thinking that says, look, you don't have to know everything about a system in order to change it, right? You you need to be able to do what we call A-B testing now in tech or just in advertising. Like, okay, let's try these two different things. And I also learned about multivariate testing, which means maybe you should change more than one thing at a time. This really informed my own ability to change things in my body. My previous approach was very academic. It was like, okay, I'm going to take one supplement and see what works. And if it doesn't change anything after a couple of months, I'll try another one. And then I did the math. I'm like, I'm going to take one different supplement for two months for the rest of my life. And I'll have done exactly 5% of the supplements out there. And I probably won't get results. So what I'm going to do as a biohacker is I'm going to do everything that might give me the results that I want. And if I get them, then I win. And then I can start backing things out. Hmm. Right. And Here's the contrast for this. If you wanted to discover bread and you were academic, well, I baked the yeast, I baked the water, and I baked the grain, therefore there is no bread. right? And, and like you're done. So the idea is, well, let's try combinations of things because what we are doing right now, sitting here, is we are running millions of variables right now. And we have this incredible... It, it's, it's hubris in science as well. I controlled my variables. I'm like, no, you didn't. Like, <laughs> what was the phase of the moon? Did you track that? Because, okay, now am I sounding a little bit crazy? No. Go to any emergency room or any police department ask them what the full moon does. And they'll tell you, Hmm, we can draw a graph. Every time there's a full moon, there's a huge number of people who come to the emergency room and a lot more people arrested. Why? Because it's a variable right? And it has some effect on us. And can I tell you why? No. Do I wear a tinfoil hat? No. Well, actually sometimes, (laughs) but like like the bottom line is, is there's lots of stuff. We, just because we don't consider it a variable doesn't mean it's not a variable because it hasn't been tested. Mm. So bottom line is if you track, how am I doing right now? And you choose blood tests, you choose a sense of wellness, you choose heart rate variability, whatever variables you want, change a bunch of stuff all at once and celebrate that. And yeah, one thing you do might go the wrong way. But if you have some education, and some guidance, you can
0: probably move the needle where you want it to go. I like that because it's a very, I mean, it's a little bit of a different approach. And, you know, I like what you said. Uh, recently, I saw Naveen Jain speak and he was, I think he spoke at your conference. Oh, he's, he's a good friend. I love Naveen. <laughs> yeah, he's, uh, he's incredible. And he said that the fastest way to disrupt an industry is to know nothing about that industry. Absolutely. And I, you know, that kind of like blew my mind because as somebody, you know, I have a background in in opera. I was a classical singer. And then I went and worked for Apple. And then I started Man Talks. And so like I didn't have any background in what I'm doing, but I think it's it's interesting because I see that pattern for a lot of people that have success is that they come in and have a very different approach. And it sounds like you entered into the biohacking sphere or realm at a really unique time and brought a very interesting perspective. Because it you kind of entered at a time where It wasn't mainstream. It wasn't in the sort of like popular consciousness, but you are able to capitalize on a a few things and systems and bring it into more mainstream consciousness. I'll I'll tell you, I wrote the first definition of biohacking and
1: created the field and I didn't trademark the word because I wanted a name for a community. And that didn't come from really a lack of knowledge. For 20 years, I have run an anti-aging nonprofit research and education group where we bring people in. And it's four minutes from Google's headquarters. You know how many Googlers have showed up? two. (laughs) So I'm like, okay, we get people over 60 and no one else will pay attention, right? So that means something's wrong. And then I I joined Quantified Self in the very early days. I'm like, well, you know, I'm not that interested in measuring myself. I want to change myself. I want, like, like, there's just a difference here. So I said, all right, anti-aging doesn't work as a field and Quantified Self doesn't work as a field. What is going to work is biohacking, because it allows me to take bodybuilders, Anti-aging people, uh, pro athletes, special forces people, all these people and take all these techniques that I've been pulling from from my own biology and put them together Mm. so that we can now talk about this. And that definition created a movement. Right. And and just talking about it. And now it's becoming more mainstream. But Mm. that was not from a lack of knowledge. It was from 20 years at the time, I guess, 15 years of working with older people. And being sort of frustrated that, look, if you start doing this when you're actually when you're in utero, you get the most benefits. <laughs> but <laughs> if you do it as a teenager or a 20 year old, you will save so much money and time versus doing it when you're 60 or 100 and trying to reverse aging, which you can do. And I've seen it happen. Mm. Uh, so it, it was that that thing. But that was just what I did for fun. It was this ability in tech to say there's this complex system called the Internet. I don't own the network. (laughs) I don't own anything in the middle, yet somehow I can do something over here and something over here happens. And if it breaks, I can fix it, even if I don't know everything. Mm -hmm. And that's the system in our body right now. We don't know so much about ourselves.
0: Yeah, I I love that. And you know, it's interesting because one of the things that I definitely wanted to dive in with you on this episode is in and around, obviously, your your new book, Headstrong. Some of the research that you've been doing, some of the things that you've found out, I think there's a lot of information swirling around now, especially about the brain and about cognitive abilities and cognitive function. And so I guess I, I kind of wanted to start off this this conversation around what are some of the common myths that you've seen around brain health and, and optimal cognitive functioning? Because there seems to be a lot of information that's out there now, and, and, and I'm curious to get your take on that. One of the biggest myths that's still out there is that you know, you
1: have X number of brain cells you're born with, and you'll die with those. Okay, uh, that's been completely proven to be just uh, just wrong, and there's still lots of people who believe it. The internet has accelerated our ability to learn about new science, and quite often we learn about new science before our physicians do, which is amazing because if you're focused on an area, you may do more research than. A doctor and doctors are in a tough position because they're competing with Doctor Google. And a patient comes in who's read everything about their condition, and the doctor has hundreds of patients with hundreds of conditions. Like it's actually not possible, uh, given you know three minute per patient time to to really expect someone who's not a specialist who doesn't spend an hour with you uh, to do that sort of thing. It's just a a strange it's a strange situation right now where we can learn so much that we maybe didn't know we could learn.
0: Yeah, yeah, and then you have platforms like Watson that you know can diagnose a patient with accuracy far above you know a group of doctors because it has like the latest versions of of papers that are out and the latest research and yeah, I mean it's it's extremely interesting. I was just
1: talking with uh, Naveen uh, Naveen Jain. He runs a company called Viome. That's V I O M E. That can get more information about what's growing in your gut than has ever been known in all of human history, including like viruses, bacteria, and things like that. Oh, by the way, um, there's some kind of, oh, people get a free copy of Headstrong if they use the code bulletproof on the volume, Um, on the volume website. There we go. Um, But what Naveen did that was just fascinating is he has a team of artificial intelligence researchers. And in two weeks they took, the the knowledge from Helen Mustier, who's, who's one of the, the better functional medicine doctors I've worked with. They took her knowledge and put it in the system. And within two weeks, it could diagnose people as well as she could in two weeks. And and going back, we, we talked about my what I studied, my information systems. I actually have a concentration system called decision support systems, which was artificial intelligence. But my teachers taught us, do not say artificial intelligence because it has never met expectations in all of history. And if you say artificial intelligence, people will just be sad. So don't call it that. And like, now <laughs> we're finally doing it and it finally works. It only took another 20 years after I got my degree for, for it to now be something that we can say without laughing at ourselves. But the idea is how do you use the computer to help you make good decisions? And in two weeks to take a top functional medicine doctor and encode that so that you get better diagnostic precision without even having to have you know, the, the Watson Deep Blue kind of perspective on things. The world is changing and everyone listening right now can go out and Google a symptom and become completely fearful and convinced that you're suffering from some strange genetic malady that you're not suffering from. <laughs> but when you put enough data into the system, it'll help you know, okay, like, no, you're not going to die right now. But <laughs> here's the top 20 things that might be most effective uh, to help you change things. And, and what our brains really do is they're pattern matching systems. And what we're developing now with neural networks is pattern matching systems that can take more data. So you and I are still better pattern matching systems than any computer out there because we match patterns over time. So we're like like time-based pattern matching things in way computers aren't. And you were talking a little while ago about this fixed brain state versus these things you can do to improve your brain. And, and that's one of the things you can do is you become better at matching patterns by reprogramming your pattern matching. What sucks for us is that most of the pattern matching in our body and the pattern matching, at least in, in my view of the world from headstrong is that pattern matching starts at a subcellular layer and it rolls up through the whole system. And this is because I think like an internet guy, not a biology guy. And That's how the internet works. Like there's multiple layers and each layer does something and feeds the results up to the next layer to the next layer. It turns out that your mitochondria, these little tiny ancient bacteria that are inside your cells that provide power for the cells, they are the interface with reality. They sense everything and they do localized pattern matching and then they roll that up and send it up to a nerve. There might be 15,000 mitochondria in a nerve right? There a lot more of them than there are of us. And they are ancient bacteria with their own little set of programs that they're running. And they roll up and they roll up until they get into the brain, they get into the prefrontal cortex. And there's six layers of that. And eventually like, Oh, look, like there's a thought. But by the time the thought happens, like all the good stuff has already, has already happened a long time ago. So given that the mitochondria are largely in charge, they look at, at us as a Petri dish that they control. And we look at ourselves, look at me, you know, I have this great body. Like, no, I'm sorry. Like, there's something inside your body that can decide whether or not you have energy right now. and can make you feel a huge amount of pain when they think you're going to do something that might be life-threatening. So those mitochondria have tilted our pattern matching so that we are excessively worried about threats, including threats that are not actual threats, like the things I talked about that made me uh, both successful but also unhappy (laughs) <laughs> those <laughs> things about fear of failure, fear of not being loved. Uh, and these are meant to keep you from you know, being eaten by tigers or you know, burning to death and things like that. But because we're so overweighted to avoiding death, uh, that drives a lot of, of what we're doing. And so when we look at what's going on in the brain, you spend an inordinate amount of time and energy uh, focused on things that you're unconsciously afraid of that happen in your pattern matching system before you have a chance to be rational about them. And a big part of my my success and my cognitive upgrade program is, first of all, make sure that you have enough energy in the mitochondria because there's less stress when those bacteria don't feel like they're starving because you're eating crappy or because you're poisoning them with things that lower their function. So when they're running at full power, you have more willpower because willpower is a biological thing. But once you have full power, if you're running software that's like, everything could kill me, I might fail, no one's going to love me, I guess I'll go eat a worm okay, your life will still suck. You'll just be better at sucking. And, <laughs> and so for me, I did a lot of personal development work. I mean, I've traveled to Tibet to learn meditation from the masters. That was actually how I, I'll say, discovered yak butter tea, even though it'd been around for thousands of years. But at least I personally you know, experienced yak butter tea. And I took that idea and was like, why does it make my brain feel different? Let me come back and, and create Bulletproof Coffee using, okay, what happens if you put different fats in solution like that? And I just went through a lot of other stuff. I've done ayahuasca with a shaman in Peru twenty plus years ago, before it was cool. <laughs> and <laughs> I ended up doing four months of of advanced meditation with electrodes glued to my head. And I opened something called Forty Years of Zen, where I uh, this is it's not part of Bulletproof. It's a a very high end uh, brain upgrade thing in Seattle that has. Uh, a neuroscientist who's a former nuclear sub engineer with 20 years of experience looking at high performance brains. How do you measure them? How do you quantify them? So I went through with a lie detector and I looked at all of my threat detection systems and turned off the stupid ones and left the ones that keep me from getting eaten by tigers. And I replaced them with abundance detection systems for lack of a better words. So there's actually a process that I went through called the reset process where you turn off These things that cause stress and anxiety that are not true, but your body believes are true. And then you go through something called the neurofeedback augmented retroframing. And that's where you actually go back and you tell your nervous system, hey, could you match patterns for opportunity, for ability to help, to make a contribution? So I naturally do that before I think about it. And then you walk into a room and you're like, wow, you might have before thought no one in here likes me. And you walk into the room and you're like, what can I do to help? And it's automatic. There's no intercepting an inner voice and then changing it. Like I told my inner voice to shut the hell up and to say the right things. And now it does. And (laughs) everything is so much easier that way. And so when we talk about brains and brain upgrades, yes, smart drugs. I've been taking them for 20 years. Yes, bulletproof coffee to get ketones in the brain. Yes, not having blood sugar swings is really important. Eating the right kinds of fats, not eating fried stuff, don't smoke, all that kind of crap. But seriously, if you're running bad software, you're not going to get it right. Yeah. Uh, so that's, that's been my path. If I turn the camera, which I'm not going to, cause I'd have to un- return it. Like I have hundred thousand dollars of neurofeedback gear sitting right over there <laughs> that I plug my head into. And we, we developed custom hardware and software for cognitive function. Really now I do maybe a couple hundred executive types a year through this training and it pays for its own R and D, but I get the benefits of the R and D for my own brain. Like mm-hmm. this is the best I know for building uh, better brains. And yes, I make a line of supplements uh, with Bulletproof that are around cognitive enhancement. There's there's four or five of them things like Keto Prime, Unfair Advantage, uh, just the brain octane oil that directly fuel mitochondria or, or enhance energy in the brain. But honestly, what are you using energy for? That's really where the metal hits, whatever, the rubber hits the road. Rubber, rubber hits, hits the road. <laughs> the, the metal hits the gong. I have no idea what I'm saying.
0: <laughs> no, I love it, man. I think that, you know, I recently interviewed um, Dr. Bo Lotto, and he runs something called the lab of misfits and he's a neuroscientist and he talks about the neurology of change and like the science of change in, in the brain. And he talks a lot about exactly what you just said, that the brain is a pattern recognizing machine. And then a lot of the times we can't create the change that we're looking for, not only because our brain isn't fed properly, but because it's not functioning properly. It's, it's been trained to sort of recognize patterns of fear and so I love what you're talking about because you're talking about not only the health of the brain, but the reprogramming of the brain in, in a lot of ways. And so I kind of want to back up to the mitochondria because it, it sounds like that's a really important piece of the puzzle. So how do we really know like when our mitochondria are maybe degrading or suffering? And then what are what are some simple basic things that we can begin to practice to, to heal them or, or repair them? Uh, all right. That is a fantastic
1: question. And Going back to that story around 2 billion years ago in in seventh grade biology, this this ancient bacteria, we we harnessed them to be our power plant. Or the more accurate story, they're like, oh, look, there's a Petri dish. Let's move right in and take over. So when you just recognize they are an independent consciousness within you, there's a quadrillion of them that are distributed throughout the body that make distributed pattern-matching decisions. They are blindingly fast and blindingly stupid and they sense things in real time, and you sense things a third of a second later. So they are the interface to reality, and they'll, they'll change what you can see and hear if they think it's going to make you alive. And they literally they sit in line between you and the world around you. So the way you see everything is colored by the state of these cells. So how can you tell if they're not working very well? It, it turns out 48% of people under age 40 have early-onset mitochondria dysfunction, And everyone over age 40 has mitochondrial dysfunction. They just call it aging. Now, in my case, I think aging is early onset mitochondrial dysfunction. There's no reason that you should have a weak battery in your iPhone when it's six months old, just like you shouldn't have a weak battery in your cells when you're over 40. And there are tests you can do around efficiency of utilizing oxygen, right? But the easiest way to tell your mitochondria at working is, do you have inflammation? (laughs) Anytime there's inflammation, it comes from mitochondrial dysfunction. And you, do you have muffin top that changes on a day-to-day basis? You have inflammation. Do you have, what I, what I write about in Headstrom, these signs of brain inflammation, which is a huge issue for people. A lot of people don't know they have this. Oh, it's, well, it's, it's just normal. Sometimes I don't know why I opened the fridge. What was I going to say? What was that word I was looking for? This forgetfulness or just brain fog and fatigue, which really hit me. Hard in my mid twenties, this brain fog. Like I'm in a meeting, I can't keep my eyes open. I don't really know what's going on. But I'm just going to muscle through it. Well, at the end of the day, like I've got the accelerator pressed all the way to the floor, and I'm slowing down. Like, like what else can you do here? Uh, or just emotional volatility. Uh, it's 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 kind of ridiculous. And when your emotions are all over the place, like why did I say that to people I care about? And you think it's because I'm a bad person. It's like no, it's because your mitochondria were losing energy to the point that they triggered an emergency state in the body so that you had some more cortisol and some more adrenaline. And you said that because you were biologically tweaked. And it's not because you're a jerk, uh, it's because you acted like a jerk because your mitochondria took over because you didn't have enough power to stop it. And these are the the signs that you have mitochondrial dysfunction, sore, achy joints, autoimmune dysfunction. Uh, Pretty much every degenerative disease we know comes down to mitochondrial dysfunction. And that is a shocking thing, but that means this is the one system, talk about system thinking, the one system in the body, you make those things kick ass, your risk of cancer goes down. Your, you, the way you treat other people improves. <laughs> uh, like, like you like your life better and you have more willpower. Uh, and so like one example there. One of the supplements that I make called Keto Prime, two studies just came out that shows that it. Uh, it's effective for the emotional symptoms of PMS. Hmm. Like what? Like, like there's actually two cool studies. And what's going on there is, well, when, you, when you're getting PMS, um, you have energy fluctuations and inflammation fluctuations in the body. And when you have lower energy, your cells, like inside your cells, these mitochondria like, we're going to die. We don't have enough energy. Like, like the hormones are, something's wrong. Well, when you give them the ability to make more energy from air and food, which is what Keto Prime is designed to do, they're like, oh, I'm less stressed. And then less stress boils up to, I feel less anxious. So I have less of the emotional symptoms of this, right? And it's the same thing for guys. We're not necessarily getting it on a regular monthly basis like that, but you, you were exposed to something in your environment you ate a crappy meal, you overexercised, you underslept, like all sorts of things like that. You, know, you stayed up late partying, the next day you're hypoglybitchy or hangry or you know, you're, you're just a jerk right? You know, your middle finger gets extra active when you're driving, all (laughs) that stuff. uh, It it is mitochondrial. So what do you do about this? In Headstrong, I write eight or 10 different things and there's like a two-week program for it. But one of the things you do is something that sounds a little bit barbaric, but it's only the strong survive. (laughs) And what that means is you create environmental situations that tell your mitochondria, could you just kill the weak ones and build young, strong, new ones? And that means occasional intense stress, but a lack of chronic stress. If you have these voices in your head, you have chronic stress. If you have environmental toxins, you're eating the wrong diet, you have chronic stress. But if you never get intense stress, then your body will allow weak mitochondria to hang around. So the two forms of stress that I think are most impactful for this, one of them is cold. No one likes to be cold. So here's the recipe. Everyone listening who hasn't tried this or hasn't read the book is going to hate me for exactly four days. <laughs> so tomorrow morning when you take a shower, take your nice hot shower at the end of the shower with the, the water hitting you in the forehead and running down your chest, turn it all the way to cold and just stand there for a minute, right? You're gonna get about eight seconds the first day and you'll be swearing, right? And you're gonna feel like you're gonna die. But here's the deal. You actually aren't going to die from a cold shower. You know this. But your body is screaming at you in a in a way that you don't know how to ignore, that says you're going to die. This is the most uncomfortable thing ever. It's a lie. It's not that big of a deal, except it is, because that's what your body tells you. So after about eight seconds, you'll shiver and get out and it's like what a horrible experience. And if you have the willpower and you come back the next day and you do it again, you'll go for 20 seconds. And after the fourth day, you're like, actually, this isn't unpleasant at all. I feel better. And it turns out you'll burn hundreds of more calories throughout the day. And all of the cells in your body that have mitochondria that are unable to make enough heat quickly to stay warm, oh, those are dysfunctional mitochondria. Let's kick their asses out of there and let's grow new ones, right? It's a very simple, we're talking one minute of cold in the morning that will feel good if you do this for four days and it'll feel crappy if you don't, you know, if, if you don't do this regularly and when you first start doing it. I have a liquid nitrogen cryotherapy thing downstairs uh, that gets the air chilled to 260 degrees below zero. You can do that for three minutes and it's less uncomfortable than taking a cold shower because I'm just getting the outer layer of my skin cold instead of my, my core cold. You can do an ice plunge. I've got one of those downstairs too, You know where you sit in water that's that's chilled to whatever temperature you want. And cold is big. The other thing is called cyclical ketosis. And the Bulletproof Diet, which is now sold almost think, somewhere around a half a million copies in 14 languages, like it's it's become like a global bestseller because it's it's very different than paleo or almost any other diet out there. And it's number one, stop doing the things that make you weak. So I tell you, look, these are foods that harm mitochondria. These are foods that might harm your mitochondria, depending on your DNA. You need to figure out which, which of these suspect foods are guilty for you. So for about one in four of us, you eat things that are supposed to be healthy, like bell peppers or potatoes or, or cayenne peppers or tomatoes they contain something that inhibits mitochondrial function. But for the guy sitting next to you, they're actually healthy because they contain phytonutrients. It's just a question of how did you evolve? So different foods are biologically compatible with different people. And if you're eating the stuff that causes constant inflammation, you're not going to have the energy that you'd want to do. So Bulletproof Diet, step one, stop doing the stuff that makes you weak. Step two, be in ketosis some of the time. And ketosis is this mode you go into where your body burns fat instead of sugar as a primary fuel source. You do this because the neurons in your brain, they love ketones. In fact, they'll choose ketones even if there's sugar floating around. But the immune system in your brain called the glial cells that helps to prune and build these synaptic connections, they like sugar. They like blood glucose. So you'll see that like there's these camps of people who are like, well, something's good. That's all I should do. So I used to be a raw vegan, right? That that is not a good path, I'll tell you. But those people are like super angry vegans. There's also super angry keto land, right? (laughs) We're like, you know, if I ever have a gram of sugar again, I'm a bad person and so are you. And you should be ketosis for the rest of your life. I'm like, look, man, the polysaccharides, that would be like cross-linked sugars that form the immune coating on the surface of your cells and the mucus that lines your gut. That's made out of carbs, So occasional carbs, especially for women, is important. The Bulletproof Diet, I'm like, look, here's how to go in and out of ketosis. And by the way, put Brain Octane in your Bulletproof Coffee and you get ketosis right away. It it creates ketones as it's metabolized. It's a source of exogenous ketones. Hmm. And that's one of the reasons Bulletproof Coffee last year, you know, 100 million cups of Bulletproof Coffee sold because people feel different when they have ketosis. And the cool thing is you can actually eat a donut and drink your bulletproof coffee. You shouldn't do that. Donuts are fried. They have bad oil and they're full of sugar and grains. They're, they're terrible for you. But if you do that and you have this brain octane, at least you'll have some ketones present to help you combat all the nasty things you just did from eating the donut. So like, like that that's why ketosis is so powerful. You don't have to be on a zero carb diet for a week to get there. You can get there with basically brain octane which is yeah. kind of a cool deal. So those are some things ketosis and some cold exposure would be really good.
0: I love it. I love it. Well, I, I can definitely vouch for both of those things because I've seen a huge, huge shift just by implementing those things. So I, um, I've got one other one for you. You want another yeah. one? Yes, right. yes, please. Something that I've written
1: about a lot is around light exposure. I and was just about to ask. I actually started another company called TrueDark, and their mission is to solve the world's junk light problem. So I have like a portfolio of companies. I I am you know the CEO, and I'm focused all the way on bulletproof. When I see a problem that I can solve, I'm like, okay, I'm going to put some resources towards that. And uh, TrueDark makes the glasses I'm wearing right now, and these are the the Daywalker glasses. It, it turns out we've changed our indoor lighting environment. And we have LED lights. We're staring at monitors with bright white lights behind them. And these have five times more blue light than our body is supposed to have. So during the day when I'm indoors, I wear these glasses that filter out exactly half the blue light. And you do that because you need a little bit of blue light during the day to tell your body that it's daytime. But then at night, TrueDark makes a set of patented optical filters. They're these, these glasses that are in the red spectrum with multiple layers in them. And they filter out every spectrum of light that tells your brain that it's daytime. So you can wear these, you can still see what's going on around you, but your brain thinks it's pitch dark. Because remember I said there's a quadrillion mitochondria in your body and they're sensitive to everything. They listen to the entire electromagnetic spectrum which includes visible light. And the ones in your skin and very specifically in 5% of the cells in your eyes control the timing system. Their job at night, is to rest and recover and work as a system. But if half the cells in your body think it's daytime at night, the system goes out of whack. And the end result is blood sugar dysregulation. Even things like cancer are correlated with staying up late and getting exposed to, to bright lights at night. So I control my light exposure. And one of the other things that will wreck your body, if you have LED lights in your bedroom, Like even just the little ones on your charging things, it'll trash your mitochondria. They communicate with light at night. They make little things called biophotons the same way LEDs work. And they talk to each other. It's one of the ways they do this. And you can disrupt that with a blue or a green LED in your bedroom. So that same company, TrueDark, makes little dots that are optical filters. You put them on top of LEDs so that no spectrum can get out of them that's harmful to your body. And then you get blackout curtains and I sleep in a blacked out room. In fact, my room is not just blacked out. The electrical grid in my room is disconnected from the circuit breaker with a remote control switch. So I have like a sleep cave that has nothing my body listens to other than darkness and my sleep efficiency. I can double my deep sleep if I use the true dark glasses before I go to bed Mm. and I've eliminated jet lag for my life. So I'll tell you, you sleep better, get all your mitochondria doing the same thing at the same time by controlling your light exposure, it makes a huge difference. And you actually experience at the end of the day from things like day walkers, I get less sugar cravings because if you have less brain stress from filtering out junk light, then you want to eat less junk food. When the brain is stressed, you get sugar cravings. If you can lower that, I just, I have more energy at the end of the day to go home and play with my kids uh, when I control light. And I write about this in Headstrong because it's one of those things, you make one change. Okay, I bought better curtains for my bedroom, so I don't get these street lights coming in through the window. And I covered all the LED lights, and maybe I wear these glasses, or I get dimmer switches. So I just, hey, I tell my body it's nighttime before I go to bed. Like, it's not rocket science, but the reason it works, it's all mitochondria.
0: Mm, I love it, man. Well, that's that's great, because I was going to dive into the light question after, and I know that we're, we're running short on time, so I have two quick questions for you just to, just to end things off. In your opinion, what are the top biohacks in 2017? Because we're almost wrapping up the year. Uh, and, and then secondly, you know, we've, we've talked about a few different tests that people can, can go and take to optimize their health uh, from biome to a few other things. What, in your opinion, are, are the top two or three tests that are out there right now to, to support people in their journey? All right. Uh, first one, top couple
1: biohacks. Uh, one of the, the biohacks I wrote about in Headstrong that's really changed things for me, everyone's saying, Dave, like you look a lot younger and, and like I, I'm leaner, I'm at 12.7% body fat right now uh, than I have been. It's actually something called polyphenols. And polyphenols are present in herbs and spices, coffee, tea, chocolate, a little bit in red wine, and in brightly colored vegetables, things like berries. We like to call them antioxidants, but what they are is these are light signaling molecules that come from foods. And this is why some international borders to this day are the original spice trading routes. They didn't trade spices 2000 years ago because they tasted good because they're vital for survival because your mitochondria need them. So I made a commitment. The average person gets one gram of polyphenols per day if they drink coffee, which is the number one source of polyphenols in our diet in the US anyway. Uh, I said, I want to get at least two grams and ideally four. So I have a new supplement called polyphenomenal that has 1.7 grams of polyphenols, which would be like pounds and pounds and pounds of food, way more than you could get. And so I've been doing between four and five grams of polyphenols a day. I do five cups of coffee, three decaf and two caffeinated. I do like my first one bulletproof. The second one is the bulletproof beans, but I usually just have espresso with lunch and I put brain octane on my food. And then I'm using polyphenol supplements. And the difference has just been really profound in the level of energy that I have, but it, it takes a little while for them to build up in the system. Uh, so I think that just our awareness that it's not an antioxidant thing, it's a signaling thing. And you're enhancing your cell's ability to be strong. So polyphenols would be uh, one of the, the top biohacks. And the other one is actually also the answer to your second question. It's the Viome test. Hmm. Getting to know what's going on in your gut We've had tests for a few years that have, okay, here's like high-level bacterial classifications with a little bit of data. When you get a full picture of every type of bacteria down to detail levels, plus virus, plus fungus, no one's ever done the fungal biome in your gut before. I did a documentary called Moldy. It's at moldymovie.com about what mold does to us. And if you have mold growing in your gut or yeast and you don't know it, it's going to affect mitochondrial function. Mold is the ancient enemy of bacteria and you are powered by bacteria. So you got to figure this stuff out. There's just never been a way to get a picture. So the Viome test, I'm an advisor to Viome. I've been working with Naveen really closely and he's an investor in Bulletproof. Uh, This is like one of the things I'm most excited about for this year. And like I said, if you use the code Bulletproof, you get a free copy of Headstrong, uh, which is kind of a cool deal on the Viome website. But those are the two things. One is getting the data, understanding what's going on so you can more accurately hack it. And the other one is we know eating more polyphenols changes your gut bacteria, changes your mitochondrial activity. And there's just so many good arguments for this and getting a broad spectrum thing like the polyphenol is a really good idea.
0: Awesome, awesome, my friend. Well, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. This was phenomenal. So- oh, it's always a pleasure. So we'll put all the links uh, for everything you talked about from Viome to the code to your book. Uh, we'll put all that in the show notes so people can check that out. And I definitely encourage everyone to uh, to go check out the Viome test, to check out Headstrong. Uh, phenomenal products. So uh, head on over, check that out. And for everybody else that's out there listening, don't forget to subscribe on Apple Music. Uh, Head on over to the website, mantalks.com, for more blog posts, other podcasts, and from the live videos from our live events. Uh, Until next week, this is Connor Beaton signing off. Thanks for joining me this week with another inspiring conversation with another inspiring individual.